If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Women Physicians Lead, hosted by Dr. Lisa Herbert, helps women physicians move from surviving to thriving in their personal and professional lives. Dr. Lisa shares leadership tips, burnout support, stress management strategies, and inspiration from women physicians who've made remarkable transitions into leadership roles. There's a fantastic episode that you should check out called Taking Care of Yourself During the Journey, about how women physicians can care for themselves while on their leadership journeys. Check out Women Physicians Lead on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Nation, this episode of Better with Dr. Erica is special. It always feels like a special episode when I have another mental health professional on, and Brooke Braylove did not disappoint. We discuss psychotherapy, shame, and strategies to move through challenges. Now, Brooke Braylove, LCSW, is a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, advanced accelerated resolution therapy practitioner and an AASECT certified sex therapist. Yes, that was a mouthful. So you might be wondering what questions this episode will answer, so let me tell you. Number one, what is Advanced Accelerated Resolution Therapy or ART? I challenge you to say that three times fast. Number two, why is it useful to consider different types of psychotherapy? Number three, why does overcoming shame matter? Now, it doesn't matter whether you have been to psychotherapy, if you're considering going to therapy, whether you've ever had mental health treatment, or if you've ever experienced shame, but most likely you probably have experienced some type of shame, there is something in this episode for you so that you can be better, do better, and live better. Because I'm all about having having your mind right, helping you out, because mental health is the foundation for wellness. So rather than me just keep going on and on to tell you about the episode, let's get to it so you can just hear it. See you on the other side. Better with Dr. Erica. Hey, Better Nation, this is Dr. Erica back with a new episode of Better with Dr. Erica. You know me, I am your host, Harvard trained double board certified psychiatrist. But you know, you also know that this podcast is for education only. You know if I'm your patient and you know if you're my patient, we are not talking in session on this podcast. So remember, it's education only, but you know know how to find me if you want to actually be on the couch and be my patient. So with that said, I'm not going to say I'm excited. I'm over the moon about my guests right now because, you know, I always get extra excited when I get people that work in mental health on here. It just gives me, it gives me so much energy and I'm going to date myself. It makes me feel jazzed. I feel like I should be doing spirit fingers. I'm doing spirit fingers, but you can't see them. Uh, but I am so excited. And I told you I'm not reading bios anymore because it's not my ministry, even though I'm really good at reading. But, oh, my God, there are so many letters in hers. I just feel like I need to say something about 
her because it's just it's just all the things. It's making me feel warm and fuzzy. So Brooke Braylove is my guest, and she's a licensed clinical social worker, uh, a psychotherapist, advanced accelerated resolution therapy practitioner. And we're going to be talking about that because, I mean, hey, that's just a lot of words. But it's a lot of words that does good stuff. Anna, Lord Jesus, it's so many letters. A-A-S-E-C to the T, certified sex therapist. So, I mean, she's just going to, I can't say she's going to hook you up because that just sounds all wrong when you say say it after a sex therapist, but she has some great information for you. So, Brooke, can you tell the people and tell the people in Better Nation a bit more about yourself since I'm not reading this whole bio? <laughs> of course. First of all, thank you so much for having me, Dr. Erica. I'm really happy to be here. And uh, yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll bring it today if that's cool. Yes, I'll bring it. I'll bring it. So yeah, so um, everything you said, I've been in private practice as a psychotherapist for 19 years in Bethesda, Maryland, which is just uh, a tiny, tiny bit away from Washington, D.C., born and raised here. Um, and, uh, I've got some really fun, exciting new, um, modalities that I'm working with, uh, specifically accelerated resolution therapy. And I'm just, uh, really jazzed to talk to you about it today. <laughs> so I know we were talking before we came in and, and I probably have mentioned it on the podcast also that one of the things I do because, Sometimes I'm a little tired and then I end up binge watching way too much and I piddle in the mornings is I do audiobooks in the morning while I'm piddling. And currently I am doing a Jay Shetty book. I, I don't know if I've talked about it on here how much I loved. I totally loved Think Like a Monk. I mean, I loved it. And now I'm listening ironically to Eight Rules of Love. But I, I, a little birdie, also known as you, told me you do a little bit of the audible. What are you listening to these days? So uh, at the moment, uh, well, I just finished The Body Keeps the Score for about the second time, mm -hmm. which is, um, you know, a lot of people know it as kind of the trauma uh, Bible. Um, and recently I listened to What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah, which actually oh. is, I think, the best trauma book, um, especially because it, it, it um it just really speaks in plain language what we know but um more people you know us we as mental health clinicians know but a lot of people don't know and it's just very validating about trauma and what we consider trauma and um so yeah i, I wouldn't say it's anything super fun um, although actually I was just about to download Becoming Cliterate, which is another, which is a sex therapy book. So, Ooh. um, so yeah, I, I kind of have a few going. It's almost like how you do Netflix, yeah. right? You've got like one that's like mindless, one that might be, you know, make you think a little more and, and that's how I do my audible too. I, I am totally, totally here for a minute. And ironically, that Oprah book is in my library. I just haven't haven't made it to it. I've, I kind of went down the Jay Shetty rabbit hole for a hot second. Yeah. And I have not read his stuff, but I'm loving him on Instagram and, and just, you know, lots of, lots of nodding along with, right. Um, yes. he's, he's pretty cool. And he has a good podcast also. Right. Cause I, I think I got introduced to, I can't remember whose pod, 
was he on? I'm trying to think if I heard him on a podcast or if this was back when I used to listen to the breakfast show, but mm-hmm. I heard him on a guest of something else. And, and then I looked into him a little bit more, but, um, I won't stay on audible forever because you have some <laughs> knowledge that I want mm-hmm. people to people to hear. So my first question for you is what even is art therapy? And, and please know this is not art therapy. Like you you have out crayons and markers and, and paints. So this is art as, as she mentioned, it's an acronym it is not right. traditional art therapy. So can yeah. you take that away? Yeah. So um, accelerated resolution therapy, also known as ART, also known as ART, uh, which makes it less confusing to say ART, but um, I I somehow say ART without even trying. So um, ART is is an evidence-based practice. It's a treatment modality that uses rapid eye movement and voluntary image replacement to change the way the brain stores distressing images and sensations. So um, people always say, is it like EMDR? And the short answer is yes, it is similar to EMDR. There are several differences, which I can get into later. Um, But one of the main things about why I love art so much is that it only takes one to five sessions to provide lasting and curative relief from symptoms. So I have treated so many different issues using art, um, you know, and they range from depression, anxiety, OCD, uh, complex PTSD, regular PTSD, uh, you know, panic attacks, chronic pain, relationship issues, mother wounds, difficulty co-parenting with a, you know, an ex. I mean, you name it, art can work for it. And there the things I love about it are that a lot of people when they finally get to me say I've talked and talked and talked for years about my trauma or, you know, this happened 30 years ago and I've been in a ton of therapy, but I just can't shake these images or I just can't get really past this. And it keeps showing up in my life. And I say, awesome. You're going to tell me about your problem in your intake session. And then you're never going to need to talk about it again with me because we really use rapid eye movement and um, coming up with uh, more positive images. And we basically take the trauma and we replace it with something more positive, And then we store that in the brain. And so, you know, we're we're learning so much more about the brain, obviously, and eye movements, what's important to know is that rapid eye movement, REM sleep, is where memories are consolidated in the brain overnight. And so basically, we're choosing to sort of manufacture that while you're awake and totally with it, it's not hypnosis. And we're going to basically have the brain do that process, but while you're healing from trauma and changing the story. So in art, we say, keep the knowledge, lose the pain. You'll never forget the facts of what happened to you. That's not what you would actually want. Um, But of course you want to let go of the way it haunts you or the way it triggers you or 
um, from it, you know, continuing to wreak havoc in your life, which unfortunately is often what trauma does. I'm here for all of that. And one of the reasons I'm a, I haven't had as many people do art as traditional EMDR, but one of the reasons I'm a fan of a lot of these particular modalities is just what you said. No one wants to sit and talk about the worst days of their life over and over and over and over. Did I say and over? Yeah. Again, so I, I'm I'm a huge fan of some of these other therapies because it's not always sitting up rehashing the trauma over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, this idea that we really need to work with the body and the brain um, to change emotions and trauma responses. I mean, so, you know, I will have someone who might be thinking about their trauma in my office and, you know, they may be shaking like a leaf and really, really, you know, about to have a panic attack, just incredibly anxious, sweating, Um, And they only have to do that for just a couple minutes before they're going to find relief in the session. Um, So, and what I love about art is it's the the word resolution is in it because there's a resolution at the end of every session. So each session is really contained. And, you know, you know, when you're doing psychotherapy, you know, they drop a bomb and we call it um, doorknob therapy, right? Where on their way out, they say, oh, by the way, I, you know, cheated on my husband. See you next week. Right. And you have no time to process it. And to say the least, that's a little bit open-ended, but art really resolves. Now, does it mean it resolves at every time after one session? No, it does take one to five, but the person will find a smaller resolution in one session so that they leave feeling better. And they do, almost always. Um, I think the, the, the research is upwards of 70% effective. In my experience, my practice, I've probably seen, it's probably close to 200 hours. I've done 200 okay. hours of art. Uh, I don't keep track, but I, I kind of, every 50 or yeah. so try to make try to make a guess. Um, and you know, my, I would say this sort of success rate is easily 90 to 94% effective. Um, And people feel that this changes their lives. Um, You know, I had someone recently say, you know, this actually makes me a better person. Mm -hmm. Because we had worked on so many different issues that face that one individual that were holding her back, and we just knocked them out. Because often when someone finds that this works so well, like let's say they came in for, you know, a single incident trauma and in two sessions they're done, they never think about it, they're not bothered by it at all. Then they usually say, well, hold on, let's attack something else, you know, and then it could be fear of public speaking or um, I get anxious in social situations and we can work on all, I mean, I have multiple patients who I've literally seen for 15, 20 sessions because they choose to do that and work on lots of different things. So I have a couple of questions in my head, but I'm going to ask this one first. I feel like it's like a little, um, you know how on game shows when they had the little wheel 
and it's mm-hmm. like click, 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 click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the people out there of Better Nation, can you just talk about a little bit about what are the key differences between ART and EMDR? Sure, yeah. So um, art focuses on sensations and images, and EMDR often focuses on thoughts and feelings. So they, the predominant thing you're focused on are, are, are just different. Um, art uses a specific number of okay. eye movements. EMDR varies. Um, art is one to five sessions. I think EMDR often takes longer than that. Um, I, I, I don't know the exact you know, sort of what they say, but it, I think it takes a little longer. And again, it's a art, uh, art is, is a very scripted protocol. There's a beginning, there's a middle and there's an end. And that doesn't really change that much from session to session. Um, I mean, the, the therapist can be a lot more nuanced, um, in it as they go, but it really is this protocol that works. And so what's awesome about it is once I've seen someone for one session, they can predict the order of things in the next section. And actually sometimes their brain kind of remembers it and just goes ahead a couple steps um, because they kind of know where we're we're headed and their brain just wants to get there and and do the thing that's going to make them feel better right away. And I will tell you, it also happens that people's brains will predict next steps, even when someone has never done art. That is always amazing mm-hmm. when you just see them moving on in the script because our brains want to heal. They want to store positive images and sensations in, you know, they, they want to hold on to those. And so I literally feel like they predict, you know, your brain predicts what's healing. And then it just happens to match up with, you know, what we do for the protocol for art. It's pretty cool. I, I love all of that. And one of the reasons I'm a fan of of some of these therapies, I'm a fan of a wide variety of psychotherapies. Uh, but one of the things I've totally loved about this kind of family of psychotherapies is just that they're, they just all seem to work quicker. And I I think there's some power of that because part of the reason people are showing up with us that end up in EMDR and in ART is the level of distress that they're feeling. So the ability to decrease it faster, but also there's been some talk out there, um, all of you all out there in, I want to say podcast land, but I've been watching way too much science fiction. So it's like, all I can think of is the ether right <laughs> uh, out there in the ether um about somatic therapies and somatic interventions and somatic is just a short version of basically just saying more in your body versus specifically just in your brain and one of the things i love about this kinds of therapies is there there's a somatic component to them yeah um, absolutely because one of the things i think a lot of us have seen practically is there's so much memory and experience that's stored in the body and that it's sometimes that's the one way to get to it effectively. But the other is especially when people can't tolerate the amount of mental capacity or the intensity that comes with dealing with thoughts that they can tolerate dealing with their body much better. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I just love connecting people to their bodies. And, um, you know, one of the things sometimes we ask, you know, obviously, what are you, what are you feeling in your body? Um, But, you know, we sometimes will ask, well, when have you felt that way before? Right. And so, because, you know, a lot of people who've experienced trauma later in life have also experienced trauma at a younger age. And so there are times um, where they won't, they'll be working on a specific problem that's going on right now. Like I had a woman with incredibly violent, intrusive thoughts that were unbearable all the time, just really just taking over her life. And we thought we were going to work on that. And, you know, some body sensations came up. And then I said, you know, when, when do you remember feeling that way before? It took her to a traumatic incident that had nothing to do with, you know, those images, but a, a trauma that occurred when she was 13. Oh, wow. And she literally said, I don't understand how these are connected. And I said, it's okay. Your body knows. And that's all that matters. And then she healed the the trauma at 13 and in all of those intrusive images were gone. She hasn't had one mm. second of them. And that was six weeks ago. That is so powerful. So it's really amazing that, you know, that you can get there almost by proxy. You think you're coming in for something and then occasionally we'll need to shift to something else um, and heal that first. And then the current thing just heals almost automatically. I mean, it's, it's wild, you know, many times in my office, people will just look at me and they'll just say, what just happened? I don't understand what just happened. And I usually, you know, laugh because it's usually sort of a funny thing. And I just say, well, you know, you're just healing yourself. That's what's happening because that is what's happening. Their brains, I'm just there to aid them Mm -hmm. tap into what their brains naturally want to do is how I look at it. Like I'm a guide. Yeah. I have more experience than they do in guiding their brain and their bodies to work together to heal. Yes. That sounds like a lot of the classic definitions of therapy too, is it's we're, we're facilitating the experience. Yeah. We're facilitating to assist you to get to where you need to be. But I hear all the passion. How did you end up finding and becoming passionate about ART? Yeah. So in 2017, I had a pretty traumatic breakup and I just wasn't getting much better. I wasn't able to move forward. And I had, you know, I was in talk therapy and I tried a couple other kinds of, um, therapies and nothing was working. And someone mentioned this, you know, thing called art. And I was, you know, feeling pretty desperate. And that is how people often get to me. They are desperate, Mm -hmm. literally. Um, And I did two sessions of art and I was 100% able to move forward. I was not traumatized by the breakup. I could tell you what happened, the facts of what happened, but I had no feelings about it anymore. Um, it's like, you know, it's like if something, you know, is really close to your face and just bugging you. And then all of a sudden it just moves like way down the hall. So, you know, I usually say like, yeah, I see you that happened. I can tell you about it, but I am not 
connected to it body or image-wise or feeling-wise anymore. Just the facts. Do you remember what it was like the first time you you did it in session with someone? Like how it felt for you to actually do it? Oh, to be the therapist? Yes. Oh, I mean, you know, it's funny. I'm not sure I remember the very first time, but every week I feel, I mean, literally I fight back tears. I mean, I get goosebumps throughout the sessions. I truly fight back tears um, because when you see someone literally transforming, look, I'm a talk therapist. I'm a psychodynamically trained therapist. I see patients for a long time sometimes. So Mm -hmm. it's not that I don't love talk therapy, but the, the healing is, you know, slower and there are layers and onions and little bits and step forward and step back. This is just better, right? This is, they just get better in front of your eyes. And sometimes again, in minutes, I see the shift. I will see them in distress and then I can see their whole body relax. Some people get a huge smile on their face. And when I get that, that's when I go, that's what I look for is the smile. I am here for it. Better with Dr. Erica. It's time for What's Up with Dr. Erica. I recently came home to St. Louis due to an emergent issue with my grandmother. Her senior apartment building became unexpectedly condemned, so I came home. My heart aches for all of the seniors in that building that did not have family that could just come and get them, along with assist in taking care of their affairs and safety. This incident reinforces the importance of being present for your family, especially those that are your elders. Being present is not always convenient, but it is the right thing to do. That doesn't mean you have to neglect yourself, but it means to lead with kindness and empathy. Our elders need us, and we can't just be absent because it's more convenient for us to be busy with our own lives. I challenge you to check in on one of your older loved ones today. Back to the show. Better with Dr. Erica. How did you how did you end up deciding or getting into becoming a social worker and a therapist? So um, I thank my parents because um, I first went to therapy as a kid. And Mm -hmm. I honestly think it was just from my own good, you know, experience in that I I learned at a young age, I think I was nine the first time I went. um, And I think I just learned that talking about things does make you feel better. So again, I'm I'm just saying maybe you don't have to talk about certain things for, you know, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I think people need people. I think people need presence. And I think people need and want desperately to be seen and uh, accepted for exactly who they are in that moment. And that's what therapy gave me. And I thought I wanted to do that for other people. Um, I definitely came in, though, also from a social justice lens. Um, I went to, for undergrad, I went to the University of Pennsylvania, and I was an Afro-American studies major. That's what they called it now. I think they call it Mm African-American studies or Africana studies now, but I'm dating myself with with that language. Um, And so I was really, really passionate about 
race relations at the time and really wanted to try to do some more public policy. So when I first went into social work school, um, I thought maybe I was going to do more policy work, but then I realized I really loved the, you know, one-on-one being with people. And so I immediately switched to a, a clinical focus and, um, have done, you know, direct service since then. I just am getting all the warm and fuzzies. I wish I could just hug you through the screen. Oh, that's sweet. You all can't see my little hand. Right. <laughs> I feel it. I through, feel it. Yeah. yeah. Feeling energy through the screen because I, I think that's one of the beauty of being in mental health and especially of training a while ago, because I know, as a psychiatrist, there, there was a period of time when it was a culture that everybody went into therapy during training. Um, the shift actually shifted significantly away from that. Um, I did end up doing therapy when I was in fellowship, and I think it was a very, it's a very good experience. And I think part of it is it doesn't always, especially being in men, working in mental health, it do, it's not even whether or not your therapy experience feels like it was the best therapy ever because mine actually wasn't. I have nothing against my therapist. I think he was a very nice person. I do think he had some difficulty separating out his role academically at another institution versus me being a trainee somewhere else and sometimes spoke to me through the lens as my faculty versus being my therapist and also one of the things I, I love that you studied African African American studies or Afro studies or whatever the, the nuanced term is now <laughs> is that um, also I think my therapy was clouded by I was a unicorn. I was a black physician training at Harvard in a department that I was the only black physician in. So, you know, and I think that's an experience a lot of professional especially black people faces sometimes people become so enamored at the fact that how did you get here (laughs) that they don't necessarily do your therapy but I think for me just understanding the amount of vulnerability that it takes to be on the other side gives you a different experience when you actually treat people than if you've never had that vulnerability Um, and I've also had EMDR Oh, okay. Okay, good. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, ironically from racial trauma in Boston. Oh my goodness. uh, That is so funny. Wow. But, but yes, I think it's, it's important to have some of these experiences and I think it's really good. Um, And also being able to understand, and I tell people this all the time that finding, finding a therapist is like dating. Absolutely. Between that, there are multiple modalities and people are very different and have very different approaches. There are some people that they're not necessarily bad therapists. They just not might not be the therapist for you. Just like dating for me. There are some dudes that are good men, but they are not the men for me. Yeah, I totally, I think that's a great analogy. And I, oh, I actually encourage people, even if I'm meeting with them, I'll sometimes say, so, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you might be meeting with a few other people, you know, and the, 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 the end of, again, a regular therapy um, session, um, a first intake, I always say, you know, so how was this for you? And, you know, what are your thoughts about the fit for you? Um, and frankly, I also get a vote in that, mm-hmm. you know, um, and 
you know, and I will share why well, I think, you know, we are a good fit. Um, there are, you know, not a lot of occasions, but occasionally where I can tell either this someone, this person needs a higher level of care, or I actually don't think, you know, my, the, my lens is what they're looking for. And so they may be saying, this is what I want, and this is what I want. And then it's just not what I do. And so rather than frustrate them from the very beginning that they're not getting what they want, which I think is a setup actually for me to be failing them uh, in their minds, you know, Um, and sometimes I do push back and I say, I know you want advice. I know you want weekly homework, but right now your, your homework is to uh, breathe deeply and, you know, find some body sensations this week. Yeah which, you know, as you know, is not easy homework for most people. Um, and, you know, I, I, I hate that, that experience for you in fellowship, but of course it's not surprising in any way, shape or form. Right. And I think, I mean, that speaks to, I think, you know, you were tokenized, right. And kind of, you weren't, then you didn't get seen for your own struggle in that. If people are so impressed with how'd you get here, that's not seeing you. I mean, it's a piece of you, but it's really not seeing, that's probably not what you were struggling with in that exact moment, you know? No. And I I do think that there are a couple of things you made me think of. I feel like you made me think of all the things. things. (laughs) You know, I I think the first thing is one of the reasons you'll see out there for a lot of people that do private practice is even for my practice. And we've talked about it, you know, I do therapy and medication management. So probably at least half of my patients are just pure therapy patients is it's one of the reasons you'll see, especially for private practices and especially for ones that are cash based, we do consultations first and it ends up being a, and it's something that I think is helpful for a lot of people because it's a get to know you. It's a me to get to know you to see if I do what you need you to Mm -hmm. get to know me to see if you feel like I might be someone you're comfortable to talk to. Because one of the things that's kind of the undercurrent of what Brooke's been talking about is there's a certain level of vulnerability you have to be able to have to do the work. If you're not able to be vulnerable enough to really have honest conversations about how you feel and what's going on with yourself and your therapist, because some some people, they can't have the, they can't have the talk with me because they can't even say these things to themselves. Is that if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable being vulnerable at all, you're not going to get a good result. Um, There are a handful of things that I know 100% you are not going to get a good, you're not going to get a good result. If you're, if you're not comfortable, you're not going to get a good result. If you're not, if you don't trust, you're not going to get a good result. If you feel judged. Yeah. I think that's really important. If you feel judged by your therapist, You'll start hiding things, you know, that's often the one place you don't receive judgment. And that's a beautiful thing. I mean, really. Um, So, yeah, I think I do think there are a lot of different sort of pieces that can lead to, you know, a fit. But often, you know, when people say, well, how do I choose a therapist? I sometimes just tell them, you know, certainly look at their website. You can read, but it's not that important where people went to school 
And even the theoretical orientation, what do you feel when you're browsing? What are the words? Does it, does that speak to you? Do you kind of light up? I mean, I, I'm a purple person. I'm obsessively, although my nails are pink today, but I'm a, everything is purple. And I've had people choose me because they liked my purple website. So you never know why, why people come to you. And, 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 you know, most of the time I think it works well every, every once in a while it doesn't. And then I absolutely take the time to refer people out to a better fit. You know, during COVID, I I did a reel about this once, reaming therapists who were not calling new patients back. People would call me and they'd say, oh, thank God you called back. I've called four other therapists and nobody called me back. And so that's where the social worker in me comes out, right? And usually my answer was, I'm sorry, my practice is full. Please tell me what you're looking for. I keep a running list of Mm -hmm. therapists accepting new patients. And they are so grateful. And I, I, I really was angry. I feel like it's maybe happening less now, but during the height of COVID, and I get it, we were all overwhelmed. I'm not suggesting that wasn't real and true. But if someone has the courage and vulnerability to finally call a therapist and you can't even bother to, you know, text, leave a message, email back saying you're full, that just discourages them from ever trying to find somebody. And so I, I always take my time helping people with a good referral. I mean, it doesn't mean they always work out, I'm sure, but I really do take my time and 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 try to find people with openings because most of us are saturated yeah. right now. There's there's no doubt about that. And I definitely understand because if people come to me and they're just a lot of times my practice is very low acuity. So, you know, I don't do schizophrenia. I'm virtual, so I yeah. don't do stimulants, you know, and things like that. And especially uh, because I am a I'm a board certified child and adolescent psychiatrist. <laughs> Is that I'll be like, okay, go to someone, 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 so. But I, but I also like a few people I know have actually put pop-ups on their website so that if you, if you click on their website, the first thing you're going to see is, I'm sorry, I'm not accepting new patients right now. Um, I think the the challenge is, is I know some people come to me and they're like, oh, I'm like the, the downside right now is you either have to get in at a moment where either someone's starting a practice or most of the practices I know that aren't full don't take insurance. It's right. almost everybody with insurance filled in COVID. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and people are still struggling from that. So they're just, you know, unless you just end up with, like, I have a low acuity practice. So at one point it was like, I think my, my patients just were like, I'm good. <laughs> you see my right. couple times, they're like, I'm great. Right. I'm cool. You know, but I, I, I think it's just important that communication element is important and, you know, feeling seen. And, and respected is, is very, yeah. very important. But the other thing I would, would tell people, you don't have to know exactly every single goal you have for treatment. Right. <laughs> but it is helpful, even if you don't know all the specifics, if you start having some idea of, well, how do you even want to feel? You may right. not know what's the problem I have to work on, but, you know, I don't want to feel tired anymore. Or Yep. I want to feel motivated or I want to be in a relationship, just something so that we can make sure that whoever you're working with, and you mentioned this earlier, is we can hear your narrative and think 
oh, these are what I, what I think you need to work on. But that is not helpful is that's not what you want to work on. Right. So being able to continually revisit that to double check in kind of, of what do you really want to work on to make sure we're working on and getting you to the results you want. Because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense if we get you to a goal that's not your goal because at the end of the day, you could still technically be feeling better, but you're going to feel like I didn't get anything out of it because it wasn't what you were looking for. Right. Absolutely. And, and for clarity, you know, don't get stressed and say, I can't go to, I can't see a mental health professional if I don't know exactly what I want. It's sometimes you get more clarity working through that with them to, you know, some people, they show up and just like, I just don't want to feel like I feel now. Yeah. Or I, I don't feel right. Or I don't feel like myself. Mm-hmm. And we can start with that and help get clarity. But I just want to encourage people that working on that clarity is helpful so that you actually feel like you got something out of the experience, but you don't yeah. have to know everything immediately. Sure. Absolutely. And I, I will tell you the trend I'm seeing in my, and now we're talking talk therapy, not, um, yeah. not ART, but the trend I see in my private practice right now is that I see a lot of women in their sort of fifties who have the career you know, have the partner, the kids, the house, the vacations, they have all of that. But there is something that they feel is missing. And I call it the itch. There's an itch. They can't locate the itch anywhere, but it keeps, you know, bugging them. Um, And so that is a lot of what I'm seeing. And, you know, it's sort of this kind of unsettled, unfulfilled, is this all there is? Mm -hmm. What am I missing? Um, you know, sense. And I think for, for everyone, it's, it's different, but overall, what I see that is missing is the ability to be vulnerable with themselves first and foremost and really show up as they actually are, not all the messages from childhood and throughout. Mm-hmm. So, and that kind of rolls into my Brene Brown work, where I lead uh, two and a half day workshops for women uh, with a shame resilience curriculum. It's called Daring Greatly. And the, the tagline for Daring Greatly is, where in your life do you want to show up be seen and live brave and what is getting in the way of you doing that and so that again that you know i mean i have a, i have a, a a patient um and i will say this is one of this made me sadder than a lot i mean i hear trauma all day i'm sure you do mm-hmm. and there's some terrible terrible narratives obviously but this this comment actually made me incredibly sad a woman who was in a really great, lovely marriage uh, of, I think it was 23 years, 20, you know, it was over 20. And she said, I have never cried in front of my husband. Now, first of all, I am a crier. So I will own the fact that that shocked me more than anything I've ever heard. Oh. So I will, own, I will own that. But the fact that this person who is there to see you, I mean, hopefully, again, they had a great marriage, you know, um, but that she had never been that vulnerable with him in all that time. I, that just broke my heart. 
And it's not that she did anything wrong or bad. It's that I, I don't think she allowed herself to get the love and healing she's always deserved because you have to open up to get that. It's a prerequisite, you know? Everything we learn in Daring Greatly is about there is zero connection without vulnerability. Vulnerability is required to deeply connect to another person, period. And it's the first thing we look for in other people and the last thing we want to show in ourselves. You just preached right there. Better with Dr. Erica. Welcome to Goodwin Medical Associates, where we provide customized, caring telepsychiatry that is delivered with compassion by a Harvard-trained, double-board-certified psychiatrist. Don't you know that everyone, including you, deserves great mental health? Visit www.goodwintelepsych.com for more information and to book your free consultation. Better with Dr. Erica. And that's part of the reason um, I wrote my first, my first solo book was called Fix Your Fairy Tale: A Woman's Guide to a Great Life, Love, and Legacy with the thought, uh, ironically, when I first wrote it, it was at a time, it took me a while to write it. Like I conceived it probably around 2003, 2004. I didn't finish it until, I think I finished writing it in 2019. It came out in February of 2020. Um, which is a whole nother story that it came out right before the pandemic. Oh, but, Lord. But the thought behind it was just as you're talking about women are, are taught this fairy tale that, and ironically, number one, the fairy tale itself is heteronormative. <laughs> you know, um, just being honest, it is because the fairy tale itself is that you're going to, you be a good girl, you go to school, the husband, the kids, the white picket fence, the little dog, everything's going to be perfect. It's going to come and it's going to be great. And what we were finding is we were at an age where I kind of called it, it was like almost like everyone got an illness and you look up one morning, you blink and everybody's married, but you, um, mm. and I, I think a lot of people realize this, especially in some of these careers where we're, you're working, you're educating so long that by the time you make it out of education, people are in a whole different stage of life, but it was Absolutely. just one thing you just looked around. It was like an illness. Everybody got married. Uh, but we just started noticing, I started noticing that it seemed like people were just making really weird decisions that were totally fueled by feel, fear, scarcity, and just feeling, feeling that they just really didn't have what they truly wanted, which was what they were told, which was a husband and some kids. And then I realized as I started talking to married women, even that the book was resonating with them. It was that same thing that you're talking about this itch. And it was just that people are sold this bill of goods of how life is supposed to be. And for a lot of people it, as women, a lot of single women, it, it, single heterosexual women, it wasn't that because they were still single. And the married ones, it wasn't that because they didn't feel seen, they didn't feel valued, they didn't feel like they had an identity outside of their family. And marriage and kids wasn't all it was cracked up to be. You know, I think most of them would still keep their kids. They didn't want to just throw them away. <laughs> right. But but I've talked to so many women, and I was even on a panel the other night about, you know, kind of what happens in the postpartum period. Is everyone sold that pregnancy is going to be fun? It's going to feel great. You're going to glow. You're going to have all the best snacks. Then you're going <laughs> to give birth to this baby. They're going to be gorgeous. They're going to 
have bright eyes and be so cute and smell so yummy and and everything's going to be great and you're going to breastfeed and they're going to latch and you're going to feel right. so excited and the hormones are going to go through <laughs> and you're going to feel so energized and feel all the love <laughs> and then they're going to be perfect and smell yummy and everything's going to be great. And a lot of people, none of that went that way. And then they're like, well, I thought my husband would do more. I'm like, well, you know, uh. You know, yeah. well, you got to ask them, did you ask him to, right? Well, and then some of it is like some of people that I talked to that actually had husbands and did stuff, because there are plenty of ones that I think the men, I mean, even if I didn't read Michelle Obama's latest book, but even her, her book before that in Becoming, she mentioned all these things she had to do. Barack went, did his stuff at the Senate, then he'd on his way home, he wouldn't even come home first. He'd go to the gym. He was living yep. his life. Yep. You know, and then he'd come home to the kids. But, you know, it wasn't like, I can't do anything till I do the kids, which is women. It's, I can't do anything till I take care of the kids. And, you know, I found people that actually had decent husbands. But even at the highest level, unless a male is a single parent, there's always going to be more responsibility on the mom. Especially yeah. for breastfeeding. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But no, I think again, that the, the fairy tale, I always say, and again, as a sex therapist, even, you know, I say Hollywood has screwed us all with their messages oh, around sex. And, um, you know, this whole idea that after 20, 30 years of marriage, you're still ripping each other's clothes off on the kitchen table. Um, you know, good on whoever is doing that major props, but not a lot of people, right. You know, it, you know, where's the lube in that? Yeah. And, uh, you know, w when did they take their Viagra? You don't see any of that. Right. It's like, where are the testosterone tablets? Right. You know, <laughs> and that's real life. And I, it's, it's really, I think it just doesn't prepare people um, our society for how hard things are. And so people look for it to be, you know, quick and easy. And relationships are not that. They're not quick and easy. The, the good ones are take work and effort and push you, push you to grow. Um, the only thing that I'm finding that's quick and easy these days is art. And otherwise... Yeah you know, you're slogging it out. Um, and again, that doesn't mean that there's not incredible joy, but you cannot have incredible joy if you do not know sorrow. Right. They don't, you know, we get them both. And, you know, obviously you, you know, hope and pray you're lucky and that there are not that many tragedies in life, but there, it, there are, you know, we're, we, we know how this ends people, right? Yes. We know how it all ends. I mean, we don't know what happens after that, but we do know. And so actually it makes me think of one of the things I'm really enjoying doing with my talk therapy patients who, who do come to this place of what am I doing? Why am I doing it? I say in this marriage, it's good enough, but it's not great. I say when you are 99, because you know, most people, don't, you don't want to say when you're 82 and you die. No, when you're 99, and you're on your deathbed, how do you want to feel? And what do you want to be able to say to yourself about what you did, felt, conquered, um, you know, 
what risks you took, right? And again, we don't even have to, you know, make this, sorry, I was about to curse stuff up, which is that you don't, um, you know, the lessons of the dying, right? They're all the same. It's not rocket science. People basically, most people say, I wish I'd worked less, less, sorry, taken more risks, Mm -hmm. done something that I was afraid of, spent more time with family and friends, told people I loved them. And, you know, those basic things. So if we kind of know that's what's, then we need to be looking to, I think we need to look to the end Mm -hmm. and think about how we want to feel and then move that backward to figure out what we need to do right now to end up in that place. And I don't, at first I would say, you know, write your obituary, but I'm in Washington, DC and people's obituaries were just, I, you know, <laughs> you know, patent that patented that and, you know, change this law, right. It was all career. So I said, no, 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 scratch that. How do you want to feel? And what do you want to be proud about? And it is almost never that somebody says, I really wish I'd worked harder and more hours. And what I really talk about with women in terms of body image, and I say this to myself sometimes if I'm not being super kind, when I'm 99 and on my deathbed, I don't think I'm going to say, you know, when I was 37, I really wish I had uh, fit into that, that skinny pair of jeans. That's never coming out of my mouth. And so if that's the case, go back and how do you want to live? Because I really believe that, you know, kind of pretending that we don't all die doesn't serve us. And I'm not morbid. I don't feel morbid yeah. about it at all. It actually, it, it, it makes me feel more alive to think about how I want to feel, you know? And again, it's not, you know, what do you want people to say about you? Because I think that's ego. Yeah. I'm not talking about ego. I'm talking about how do you live in alignment with yourself? And that's a lot of what I try to help women with is how to be fully aligned inside themselves before they interact with anyone else, including, you know, their children. And I, I love everything that you just said. And it takes me back to, um, I'll be turning 50 pretty soon. Me too. When's yours? Um, or you don't well, might not want to say. <laughs> well, they, they they aren't really going to know because they don't know when it was recording. I turned 50 on Friday. Oh, my goodness. Happy. Thank you. Thank you. And I was telling a friend about it, and there was like, what feels different? And I said, there's an urgency. And I said, it's it's not frenetic. It's just this urgency because you don't feel like you have infinite amount of time to do stuff. <laughs> that if there are things you want to do, or things you want to prioritize, you have to start doing it now. There, there, there's, there are only so many tomorrows because we had lots of yesterdays. Right. And I love what you're saying because part of it is, is when you're starting to make these decisions of, you know, and a lot of these that you're talking about, and I have, I work with, a, my practice has a lot of women also. And I went to college at an all women's college. You go to Spelman? Yes. My family's full Mm -hmm. of women. Is that it's, there are these big decision points and really 
continue to do the work like you're talking about of getting clear of what you ultimately want and what, and a lot of it really boils down to quality of life and what Mm -hmm. adds value to you because what's, what's value to every person is different. So Mm -hmm. what, what your purpose is may different, what your, what's actually valuable is different, what experiences are going to feel like those ones that really made it work. And, and what little things do it for you is different. But I, I really can definitely say that there's there's an urgency to start getting to what what's going to not only bring the most joy, but what's going to actually feel meaningful. Mm-hmm. And some of that's even in interpersonal family relationships. But I, mm-hmm. I, I love what you just said about all of that. And because I can't keep you here forever, because I've had you here longer than I probably was supposed to, but hopefully you don't <laughs> have to run off on me. I'm going to no. transition into the speed round because I feel like you already were, um, as I'm going to go back to the 90s, was dropping knowledge. There you go. Yes, right. I, we're the same age. So we probably listened to all the same music. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, I date myself every day. Like every, <laughs> every day I'm dating myself by what I'm saying. I had to start changing some references for patients since I work for kids. <laughs> when I talk about Groundhog Day, none of them know what it is. Oh, but that's the best. It's the, the best, best reference for stuff. It's like yeah. one of the best quintessential therapy references, and they don't know what it is. Totally. Yeah. Uh, but let's go ahead and move to the speed round so that I don't all hold right. you hostage all, all of the day. Okay. Uh, what is the best compliment that you have ever received? your authenticity and bravery inspire me. Okay. Um, you're going to give me all the feels. I'm not, I, I'm determined. I'm not going to get soft and fuzzy and start crying during, uh, I told you I'm a crier, you know, it's all good. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to do it. You know, <laughs> Bible didn't just die and Mufasa hasn't died. So I'm okay. <laughs> Well, Fievel didn't really die. I just thought he died for a little while, but Fievel was okay. And now I'm dating myself because most of these people, right. I don't know if everyone watched American Tale. Um, what is one piece of advice you'd like to give to your younger self? Don't shrink. Don't shrink. I am here for it. I'm here for all of that. And what is your superpower? Oh gosh, I didn't think about this one, huh? Um, you know, I feel like everybody says empathy, so I don't want to say that. Um, my superpower is um, I, I I want. It's funny, I'm 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 forgetting the word. I'm not coming up with the word, but basically, it's not down to earth. It's not straightforward. It's um. And it's not blunt. So Relatable? it's something. No, it's something. It's about just this is what it is. Oh. Let's call it that. We're good. So Got maybe it. like truth, truth teller, truth speaker. Something I like am that. here for that because just as therapy, there's no perfect answer. <laughs> I know exactly what you meant. Yeah. So what are some of your final thoughts for the listeners? Um, in general, figure out what lights you up from the inside, stay with that, do more of that. Notice what it feels like when you do light up and take that light with you everywhere. Don't dim it for anyone, any job, 
any relationship. Do not dim your light. Be vulnerable. Take chances. And if you're stuck, if you're really, really stuck and you've tried to access and get better through different ways, look into accelerated resolution therapy or EMDR or somatic experiencing. Look into some of these body and brain based therapies. You can always keep going with talk therapy. But when you're really stuck, try one of these brief treatments to get unstuck Um, and laugh. You know, I mean, I I bring so much humor into my sessions um, because life is hard and people are talking about hard things. So you've got to be able to laugh at things sometimes because life can be absurd and really hard. And so I really try to just uh, bring a lot of humor. I love all of that. So where can the people find you? The people in the ether uh, (laughs) can find me at brookbraylove.com and Instagram and Facebook is uh, brookbraylove psychotherapy. Uh, Yeah, you can find me anywhere there. And again, weekend workshops for uh, Daring Greatly and um, art you can do virtually or um, in person. And I do want to make a plug for uh, acceleratedresolutiontherapy.com. You can search for art practitioners by state. And so I really encourage people to uh, to go and find somebody in their state. Um, follow-up question. Are you licensed outside of Maryland? Uh, good question. Uh, I'm now in D.C. and Virginia. I had just done Maryland for, you know, 18 years. And then finally with, you know, the virtual, I thought, well, you know, because we are in the DMV. Yeah. They're they're really right, right all around here. So just those uh, three states. Look at you just taking care of the DMV and leaving out the rest of us. Yeah. It's okay. There, there well, hopefully they're going to have that social workers, you know, kind of psych pact thing coming soon for social workers because psychologists have it that they can practice in a number of states now. We don't. Um, you don't have it either. Right. So we hear it's in the works, but uh, big fan of that. I think you should be able to, I think help is help. And, and getting back to that idea yeah. of like a good fit is a good fit. Yeah. And just because somebody goes to college shouldn't mean I can't see them anymore. Well, and that that's that's a challenge because I know our compact is pretty much it's a way to make licensing more streamlined, but it's not a reciprocity agreement. And there, yeah. our compact actually isn't in all the states. Ironically, about half the states I practice in aren't even in the compact. But I digressed. So my final thoughts. Um, I'm going back to my um, all of you that are my listeners of Better Nation know I keep this little set of inspiration cards on my desk front. Tarjay, please note Tarjay is not paying me. I really need Tarjay to pay me as much as I talk about Tarjay. And the quote is, the minute you begin to do what you really want to do, it's really a different kind of life by Berkminster Fuller. And I feel like the energy always comes together and the card that comes up always is what we're talking about. And and a, a lot of a lot of what we talked today as far as, I wouldn't call it success in life, but feeling like you have a good life mm-hmm. um, and also being able to have healing. All of those begin with choices and decisions that even if it's as simple as 
choosing to see someone because you've experienced trauma or you just feel like I'm just not sure what I need to do right now, but what I'm doing ain't it. It's just by choosing to see someone that you're making a choice to step into your healing. And I just want to encourage people that even if you don't know what to do, there are a zillion professionals in so many different fields that can help you that by making the choice to get some help beyond Google, because sometimes Google isn't enough, um, that it can really change your life. And when it comes to dealing with trauma and stress and overwhelm and burnout, depression, anxiety, psychosis, all of the things is that there's a lot of really great stuff on the internet. I do send, you know, there, my patients all know there's one specific list of grounding exercises <laughs> that I love. And I'll be like, look at this link. But a lot of times you won't necessarily be able to facilitate and fully curate your healing through the internet. So I feel like the internet is really strong when it comes to some lifestyle interventions. Ah. And um, I just saw the cutest dog and dogs are therapy too. Oh my God, this dog is so cute. He's he's my therapy dog. I bring him to work every day. Oh, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm loving him. He is so cute. But I want to encourage you that have a low threshold of actually using trained professionals. You don't have to wait to find us until the bottom's totally fallen out. You feel like total trash. You can't work or you, you can't take care of your kids or two steps away from being homeless or you're about to lose your job or you're seeing things. You do not have to wait until it gets there or till you feel like all you feel inside is empty. You don't have to wait for all that to see us. So encouraged to make, make choices that a choice is a, a move. So the first thing I have to say is thank you, Brooke Bray love and your mm -hmm. lovely therapy dog for <laughs> hanging out with us and pouring your wisdom and pouring into me and better nation. Cause you poured into me today and I'm feeling like, I'm like, I'm taking over. I feel Not like pinky awesome. in the brain. It's my world. After I talked to Brooke. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Oh, you're, you're more than welcome. The next thing is I want to say thank you to all the listeners in Better Nation. Thank you for showing up for yourself. I appreciate you showed up for Brooke and I. But I even more appreciate that you took some time out specifically for you. Because you know we talk around here about be better, do better, and live better. And the importance to put you back in your life. And you took another step towards that right now. So thank you. Last couple of things. The first thing is if you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe. That helps us get even better content out to you. The next thing is please share. Don't keep us all to yourself. I, you don't have to gatekeep my podcast. The next thing is please rate and review five stars. I Yes, I am your Uber driver. Five stars. And reviews also help with us getting getting better content. So thank you so much. And the last thing is take your left hand, put it on your right arm, take your right hand, put it on your left arm, give yourself a squeeze unless you're driving because I'm not having car accidents that are my fault. And give yourself a squeeze because you deserve some love and some hugs. I am sending some positive vibes out to you and you know you can find us on Tuesdays. So until next time, have an even better day. But you can listen to us any day of the week. It's just the new episodes drop on Tuesday. So, you know, you start missing me a little bit, just go back. You know, we're we're we've got some seasons under our belt now. So you can always go back and and just get a little Dr. Erica in your life. So thank you so much and have an even better day.
Find me on social media at Dr. Erica, D-O-C-T-O-R-E-R-I-C-K-A on all social media and online at betterthepodcast.com. That's betterthepodcast.com. If you like what you heard, tap on that subscribe or follow button, then click share and click rate and review. Now, don't panic if you don't see rate and review. Sometimes it mainly shows up on Apple Podcasts and Audible. But I appreciate hearing your feedback. Check back weekly for new episodes. They drop on Tuesday mornings. Until next time, be better, do better, live better. Better with Dr. Erica.